Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin, presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Straight up, 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Glad to have you with us. Blessed to have you as a part of my audience. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. Ryan Albanese behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me tonight. 615-737-1045 is how you join me. 737-1045. Here's what we're doing tonight. I got Phil Steele coming up in the next segment. Of course, his college football preview, the 2019 edition, came out last week. I've got it sitting next to me. That is when summer starts for me is when this book comes out. It's going to be awesome to kind of preview the season with him. Also, NBA free agency is bonkers. We will get to that. Maybe a little bit of Spider-Man. Who knows what we're going to talk about, but I know what we're going to talk about off the top of the show. I'm going to bring in my buddy, Alex Doherty. He writes for A to Z Sports, covers the Predators for them. Alex, how are you tonight? I am great. How are you? Doing good. So, well, you know why I have you on right now, obviously. So tell me first the nuts and bolts of this contract for Matt Duchesne, who is the newest Nashville Predator. So it's kind of a unique contract in terms of uh, for David Poyle, considering most of his contracts are pretty straight up and down, you know, a six by six or an eight by eight. Uh, this is a little bit different because it's, an, it's a seven year contract. $56 million total value, but the, the years uh, or the value by year is a little bit odd. And, and the signing bonus numbers are a little odd. It starts out at 10 million. Then next year goes, the following year goes to eight then to 10, then to nine. And then the back end of it is, is uh, a little bit lower of a value. Uh, the AAV is still 8 million a year, which is a really good AAV for, uh, for Matt Duchesne and AAV. I mean, average annual value. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other interesting thing is that there is a uh, modified no-trade clause in the last three years. There's a list of seven teams that Matthew Shane can say, no, I don't want to get traded to these teams, but that leaves, you know, 35 or 25 other teams. So uh, it is kind of a strange contract for David Poyle, I think. But, uh, you know, I think he was going to do whatever it took to get Matthew Shane in town. And uh, if that meant, you know, kind of structuring things a little differently, I think he was more than happy to do that. A little bit more on Poyle here. I was reading your article at agencysportsnashville.com. Poyle's never spent this kind of money on July the 1st on a free agent. And then it says, you know, over a decade since he's landed a center on the free agent market as well. I think what you just said is adept that he realized this is a guy that he wanted to get no matter what it was going to take to get here. But just how out of character is this for the organization to make a move like this when they made this move? Oh, it, it's really it's really out there uh, in terms of David Boyle because, well, first of all, it's it's the third highest just overall value contract he's ever signed, and and one of those highest was the Shea Weber, which was really an RFA situation in the the Philadelphia Flyers. And so, really, 
it's the second highest that he's ever even, you know, drafted or drawn up. And, you know, for the most part, David Poyle doesn't build his teams through free agency. He builds them through the draft and through trades. So this is completely out of, you know, out of the, the norm for him. Uh, and like you mentioned, yeah, you have to go back about 10 years ago to them signing Jason Arnott on, uh, on, on free agency day. And then a long time ago, they signed David Leguan, but that was a different situation. That was a, was a draft. So uh, this is so out of the, out of the ordinary. Uh, Colin Wilson was a center that they drafted and then signed. I mean, they just don't acquire big centers like this uh, because it's just a, a tough position to find. And so David Boyle obviously knew what he was going after and knew what he wanted and was willing to do whatever it took to get him. And I, I think he made the right decision. So everybody's going to say the right thing when they get traded to a team. It's not like Matt Duchesne is going to come here and say, well, I guess I'm playing for the Predators. It's like, no, he's going to say all the right stuff. But it seems like he wants to be here. Like, it comes across very genuine, and it doesn't look like it just happened yesterday. They've wanted him for a while. Looks like he's wanted to be here. So let me ask you this first. Let's go back to day two of the draft. You and Christopher Martell were, well, on and off during that ridiculous storm on the first night of the NHL draft right here in a, on a special edition of the Neutral Zone that, that came up that night. And I asked Christopher Martell, I said, is, is P.K. Subban going to make it through this weekend? And he said no. So P.K. Subban goes to New Jersey. Some people like it. Some people don't. So Duchesne is basically the result of that salary dump. So when you look at it, is that enough? Does that feel like the Preds got better swapping P.K. Subban for Matt Duchesne in this case? I, I definitely think so. Right? I, I, I think I'm actually kind of in the minority there. But um, when you consider what, first of all, where the surplus was for this Predators team, you know, uh, a month ago was on defense. Mm -hmm. They had a surplus of defensemen, both in value, in, in hockey value and also in actual monetary value. They had, they had a lot of it. I mean, they've got Roman Yossi, Ryan Ellis, and TSX home, PK Subban, and now Dante Fabro. He knew what he had excess of, and he knew there was only one way to improve his offense because he didn't have a lot of money to go to go, to go around. So uh, PK Subban was the most tradable player uh, of the of the possibilities, and the one he could get the most out of. And I think people are, are ignoring too too easily what the return was from New Jersey. Yes, it was only two seconds uh, of a roster player and a prospect, but um, th those those all those players can contribute and. P.K. Subban, you know, obviously is just one player. He's, a, he's an excellent player, but he's not worth $9 million anymore. I think he's probably worth more like six or seven. And that's exactly what David Poyle got out of him in terms of the, the cap hit because of the Santini contract coming back. So, um, no, I think he definitely got what, got what was worth out of the, the P.K. Subban trade. I know I'm in the minority there. I love P.K. Subban while he was here. He was great. Uh, he's certainly great for media types because he gets a lot of right. a lot of traffic, a lot of eyeballs. But um, yeah, no, I think that I think he got what he needed out of it. Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports joining us here on the Big Six. Follow him on Twitter at Alex Doherty One. So what you just mentioned about PK Subban before we leave that topic, one of the things that he brought was that larger than life personality that was not just league known but was nationally known. Now there were fans across the country that might have had issues with him, but he was intriguing and interesting relentlessly there's a little bit of Draymond Green to him maybe if you think that's fair but now in the absence of a PK Subban does anybody on this team jump off the page to the larger NHL landscape on a national side what kind of personality is Duchesne bringing for instance you know actually I don't know that Duchesne would be that guy I think he has a lot of pull from Canadian media being a being a Canadian but and also being just a very talented player but you know, it, the first person, when you, when you ask that question, the first person that comes to mind 
is Ryan Johansson. Mm-hmm. Um, this this guy, if you go to the Fred's locker room on a, on a routine basis, he always stands out as a guy with a ton of character in that room. I mean, he's he's cracking jokes. He's talking about players while they're talking to media. He he makes he makes comments about how Victor Arvidsson is so short and he can't tell if he's standing up or sitting down during the media scrum. And and, and this guy's he's constantly just the life of the room. You can you always know when he's in the room. And that's exactly how I how you feel about PK Subban too. Uh, so Ryan Johansson is the first one that comes to mind, to be honest. And 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 I think he's about the only guy that could really touch Subban. I don't think he'll get close to it, but he's probably the only one that comes to mind. Ten years in the league for Duchesne, and you talked about surplus with defense and that making it more on your side in terms of letting Subban go or letting one of those defenders go. And Subban's contract was the one that you could move in that case. One thing that they did not have a surplus of in Nashville last year was goal scoring. And so Duchesne, that is what he brings immediately to this team, right? Is there anything that you look at and say, that's not necessarily a strength of Matt Duchesne, that that could actually harm this team? Or does this just seem like, no, this is a a slam dunk move for David Poyle? Yeah, I mean, I I don't, I really do think it's a slam dunk. If if you're being nitpicky, I think his uh, defensively, he's not, you know, the most, the most well-rounded defensively. He still works very hard on defense. He doesn't. He's not going to play on the penalty kill. He's not that kind of a player. I'll tell you one thing that's uh, maybe underrated about Matthew Shane is the guy just doesn't take a lot of penalties either. I mean, he he had eight penalty minutes in seventy-three games last year. Uh, he's routinely one of the least penalized forwards in the league, and for a guy that gets you know fifteen or nineteen minutes a night, that's pretty good. Uh, so he does a lot of really good offensive things. He scores a lot of goals. He's seven times seven times he's had twenty or more goals. Two times he's had thirty or more goals. Predators haven't had anybody like that in their in their history. He's got he comes in with more career points than anybody on the Predators currently. Um, yeah, no, I, I just I really can't think of it in any other way other than a slam dunk right now. Of course, there'll be detractors. There'll be they'll he'll have bad games. He'll have uh, he'll have times when he's not really clicking with people. But I, I really feel like in in most ways this is this is a slam dunk for David Poyle. Larger scale, the division as a whole, there have been moves made kind of across the board, across that landscape, everybody trying to do something. How do you look at these teams right now and slot them, you know, in advance, obviously, of what we're going to see on the ice next season? Well, I'll tell you that the Dallas Stars rivalry just got a whole lot more interesting, mm-hmm. not only with the series last year, the uh, the Winter Classic coming up in January, and then now they also got Corey Perry down there. So that's pretty interesting. And Joe Pavelski. Um, I think Chicago is probably still going to be pretty not you know not that great, uh, but I, I think Dallas and Colorado and Minnesota did a lot of good things, and then obviously the Stanley Cup champions, the St. Louis Blues, are, are going to be probably right there again. The Central Division is going to be as tough as it has ever been next year, and I'm you know if you're a Predators fan, you've got to feel pretty good about your chances, but don't don't look past any of these other teams. I mean, even the Jets. I mean, they they lost a couple on their defense, but they're going to be a tough offensive team again. So. Um, I think it's going to be a really tough call next year to see who comes out of the Central Division. Alex, always good to talk to you, my friend. Appreciate you making time. Hey, appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. Thank you. That is Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports, at Alex Doherty 1. If you're not following him, you should be. Coming back on the other side, we're going to switch gears and talk some college football. Phil Steele. Phil Steele's College Football Preview 2019 magazine is out. 25th anniversary. We're going to talk a whole lot of pigskin with him. Big Six, having fun tonight here in Nashville on 104.5 The Zone.
Welcome back, Big Six, here on a Monday. Scorcher in the Music City. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter, at jmartzone. Forgot to say this off the top. Less beyond measure, all reasonable and otherwise. I hope you recognize that you are as well. I hope this finds you and yours doing well. A lot of people have different rationale for when they believe the summer begins. I believe it begins when Phil Steele's college football preview magazine hits shelves. I picked mine up last week. We welcome in Phil Steele, ESPN Insider, and 25th anniversary. First off, congratulations, Phil, on 25 years of this magazine. You guys have come a long, long way. Hey, thank you very much, Jason. Hard to believe it's been 25 years, and that first magazine was black and white on newsprint, about 188 pages, and now we're up to 352 pages full color. And the beautiful thing is we give the same amount of coverage to a team like Middle Tennessee State that we do to Alabama and Oklahoma. Two full pages and all the information, same spot on every page. But yeah, it's hard to believe it's been 25 years. Good thing I started at the age of 10. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. Well well done. Nice, Nicely played off the top here. So Middle Tennessee, maybe we'll talk about them. I, I do think that the Vols fans here want to know, and I want to ask you larger questions about the SEC and some other contenders, but I want to start in a volunteer state. It's year two for Jeremy Pruitt, a new offensive coordinator. Still some holes that need to be filled. And I saw your most improved list. And then I saw where Tennessee, where you have them slotted in the East. And I kind of agree because it appears to me, correct me if I'm wrong, that the SEC East is all getting better. They're all starting to rise, or they're trying to. So what do you believe is true for the University of Tennessee entering this season? How do you assess where they stand and the obstacles that Pruitt's going to have to deal with this year? Well, the good news is if you make my most improved list, I'm predicting a bowl game. But, of course, Tennessee wasn't far from a bowl last year at 5-7, and seven, uh, a couple of close losses during the course of the year. But, you know, when I look at this year's Tennessee, I see an upgrade in talent the last two years. And I know – uh, that they had brought in decent recruiting classes, but I don't think they were quite the same recruiting classes that Pruitt's been bringing in. Uh, I like the offense with Garantano at QB, especially if he can stay upright. Let's face it, last year's defense or last year's offensive line was not stellar, mm. but I, I like the upgrade with Darnell Wright and uh, Wayne Morris, the uh, PS number one and number four offensive lineman coming in. I think those two could be your starting tackles for a good three or four years, if you catch my drift on that. Uh, they're that good. And when I look at the offensive line, I think it will be improved. There's playmakers at receiver and Jennings and Callaway, and uh, Dominic Wood Anderson's going to be one of the better tight ends in the country. You know, uh, Pruitt prefers bigger physical blockers at tight end, and he's got one. And then you look at the running backs with Chandler, Gray, and Jordan. Biggest question mark I have on the team is actually the defensive line. Not overly talented, but a lot of hard-charging guys. And I like Aubrey Solomon, Daryl Taylor up front. Uh, then you look at a linebacking core, good. And the secondary, probably the strength of the defense. In fact, I ran the, uh, uh, well, I ran the number 52, the linebackers are the strength of the defense. DBs are solid. But then the special teams, I rate number 10 in the country. Now you look at the schedule this year. You know, big game early on, BYU. I think that's going to be a key indicator. BYU's a real good team at home, but I think Tennessee gets that. The Florida game will be uh, an interesting one, but I've got Tennessee favored in coming into the season seven games. Uh, so there's the potential of a seven, eight, and maybe even a nine-win season if things go their way. Over/under in Vegas right now is seven. I'm leaning with the over. I think that's going to give some people some hope out there. This studio, Phil, is a couple of miles away from Vanderbilt, so we'll ask about them as well. I don't think, and I think most Vanderbilt fans would say they did not get as much out of Kyle Shermer as you would have hoped. 
that caliber of quarterback doesn't end up at that school all that often. You've got Derek Mason still there. You've got Keyshawn Vaughn. You do have some talent there. But how do you feel about the Commodores? What do you think is a reasonable expectation for them this year? Well, I'm going to let Vanderbilt fans know right off the top that I did not expect Vanderbilt to get to a bowl game last year. So Derek Mason proved me wrong last year, getting them to a bowl, and, of course, beating Tennessee for a fourth straight year. Uh, I did not call for that either. And, you know, when I look at the Vanderbilt this year, the big three really jump out at me. I'm talking about Keyshawn Vaughn at running back, uh, Kalijah Lipscomb at wide receiver, and Jared Pinckney at tight end. These three are all NFL-caliber dudes that are at the skill positions on the offense. Now, who's going to get them the ball? I think eventually Ball State's transfer quarterback, Riley, Neely get, Riley, Riley Neal, gets them there. Neal didn't have the type of year I expected last season, but it, the Ball State was a better team with him than they were without him throughout his career there. And this is the best talent he's had to work with. He's 6'5", 218. I think he's got the talent to operate. So my question marks would be the offensive line, just two starters are back. And then the overall defense, six of the top seven tacklers are gone from last year, five of the top seven tacklers. And Vanderbilt goes from number 58 on my experience chart, which was middle of the road, all the way down to number 108 on my uh, experience chart. And they play the 16th toughest schedule in the country. So those are... Probably the two numbers I don't like most about Vanderbilt, the overall experience number, and then that schedule number is difficult. When you look at the SEC as a whole, who do you say, watch out for that team, and who do you think might take a step back from what we've seen maybe over the past couple of seasons? You know, the team I think is going to surprise a lot of folks this year, and it's not necessarily because of the overall talent, is the Missouri Tigers. Uh, when I look at Missouri, I see a team that was good last year. Uh, they lose Drew Locke, and they were only 8-5 and five last year. So, But when I look at Missouri this year, I like Kelly Bryant coming in at QB, Larry Roundtree a running back, the offensive line's talented, and the defense is good. The defense is not great, but the defense is good. Talent-wise, I rank them about number 25 in the country. But look at the schedule for Missouri this year. Wyoming, West Virginia, Southeast Missouri, South Carolina at home, They'll be favored in all four of those games. Troy at home, favored. Mississippi, favored. At Vanderbilt, that game's probably a toss-up. At Kentucky, that game's a toss-up. This is a team that could have six, seven, or eight wins when they travel to face Georgia on November 9th because of the schedule. And if you watch Missouri and Georgia last year, I thought Missouri played Georgia even at the line of scrimmage. They gave up a kick return or a punt return touchdown, fumble return touchdown, something like that. Uh, Missouri actually had a 26-18 first down edge in that game, but ended up losing by 14. So I think if you're looking for a real surprise, team that could come out of nowhere, I would go with the Missouri Tigers, and it's because of their schedule, which I rate number 41 in the country. Then a step back this year, you have to think Mississippi State, with all the talent they lost off that defensive line, and the fact that last year's Mississippi State team was such a good team, uh, ranked for the majority of the year. They weren't ranked after the bowl loss, but only four starters back on D. I still think Mississippi State's good. I just think if you're looking for a team that was ranked most of the year to one that's going to be middle of the road, I'm looking at Mississippi State. Just because you mentioned that, we've got Phil Steele here on the Big Six. Follow him on Twitter if you're not, please, at PhilSteele042. But because you mentioned Mississippi State, the Titans in the first round took Jeffrey Simmons. With all the tape that you watched and all the preparation, I'm sure you got a good look at Jeffrey Simmons. How good a football player did the Titans get, presuming he comes back from the injury strong? Oh, I tell you what, everybody I talked to all season long uh, just talked about Simmons and Sweat. And Simmons was such so dominating on the inside. You know, he didn't put up the overall sack totals, but, I mean, look at the TFL, look at the quarterback hurries, the quarterback pressures, and just the amount of space 
he took up on the inside. Uh, dominating defensive tackle, and, you know, it's the defensive ends that get all the press because of the sacks. But I think uh, when I talk to most folks, even though Sweat was up there with his 11.5 sacks, uh, most of them were saying that Simmons was probably the top defensive lineman there. Your college football playoff, you've got Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, and Michigan. Those are the four teams. Which one of those four teams are you most confident in? Which one of those four teams are you least confident in as you make those predictions? I am going to go most confident with Clemson. And the reason why is Clemson's got the offense. You know, their defense lost all those guys. I still rank their defensive line number five in the country. Wow. But look at that schedule. Yeah. When I look at Clemson's schedule this year, they're going to be a 17-plus favorite in every single one of their games. Probably the closest game spread-wise is Texas A&M, and they're already an 18-point favorite in that game. So Clemson will go on the field basically a three-touchdown favorite in every game. I'm very confident that they run the table, finish, start the season number one, finish the regular season number one, and make the playoff. And then a little bit of a surprise here. I think the top three teams in the country are Alabama, Clemson, and Georgia. But I sort of was torn putting Georgia in because somebody's got to lose that SEC title game. And for Georgia to get in, they probably have to run the table during the regular season. I think there's a good possibility this year's Georgia team is better than last year's Georgia team. And I'm on the Joe Moore Award Committee, which, by the way, I'm very honored. I'm the only non-offensive lineman or offensive line coach that's on that committee, so extremely honored to be on it. Georgia was one of our three finalists last year, and their offensive line could be even better this year. They've got Jake Fromm at QB. They've got an improved defense. But Georgia would have to run the table, and they do have to play at Auburn this year in Jordan-Hare Stadium. They have to play Florida and Jacksonville. And, you know, they play Notre Dame at home. So there's a couple tough games on there where if they slip up once and lose the SEC title game, they won't get in. But do keep in mind, they led last year's SEC title game 28 to 14 in the second half for crying out loud. So this is a dangerous Georgia team. And to be honest with you, the last two weeks of the magazine, uh, they kept coming in going, we need the national cover, Phil. Who are the four teams? And I couldn't give them Georgia or Oklahoma. Oklahoma or Georgia. One day it was Oklahoma, one day it was Georgia. So that's why I go with Georgia. Heisman, how fun is Tua versus Trevor going to be to watch all season? And who is it that stands to benefit in your mind if those two falter? Who else do you think has a real legit shot at this thing? Yeah, first of all, it is going to be fun. And there's going to be the two highest scoring offenses in the country because they both have top five offensive lines. They both have my number one and number two set of receivers and two of the best quarterbacks are Clemson and Bama. Trevor versus Tua. For the record, I went with Trevor winning it Mm -hmm. uh, for the fact that uh, Clemson should blow everybody out all season and love the way he dissected Alabama. But here's some other players to watch. Uh, Number one, last year, uh, Jason, when I was doing my uh, radio show circuit, I confidently said, you know, I like Kyler Murray, but let's face it, he can't match Baker Mayfield's stats from last year. That's impossible. The guy won the Heisman, and guess what? He topped his stats. So I'm not going to say Jalen Hurts can't top those stats. You know, Coach Riley, I told him he made me a liar last year, and he is basically the quarterback whisperer. And Jalen Hurts has only lost two games in his career as starting QB. Plus, I like the way Hurts threw the ball last year. It was his best passing year at Alabama. So you have to put him in the mix. Sam Ellinger of Texas, if he's a true leader, and if he gets him there, look out. Justin Herbert, probably the first quarterback taken in the draft in Oregon, is much improved this year. And then Shea Patterson of Michigan. You know, Josh Gannis comes over from Alabama as the offensive coordinator, taking over there, and Gannis moving him to the spread offense. That's a perfect fit for Shea Patterson. So those would be your likely candidates. 
as well as that guy that had the quietest 2,000-yard season of any running back I remember in college football history, Jonathan Taylor of Wisconsin. I will ask you about Middle Tennessee real quick because it's not often that you have someone on a national basis that pays attention to the school out in Murfreesboro. So how do you feel about the Blue Raiders this season? And I'm a, I'm a Western Kentucky alum, so I can't stand them. So if you want to say that they're not going to win any games, you're going to win a friend in me. Well, I tell you what, I talked to, I've been talking to Coach Stockstill probably all 14 years he's been there, so I'm very familiar with Middle. And uh, the big thing this year is who the heck is going to replace Brent Stockstill? Right. Because you know over the last four years or five years, however long he was there, whenever Stockstill was out, Middle Tennessee was a completely different football team, and when Stockstill was in there, they were great. So you have to think Stockstill being out is going to be a big drop-off. I projected Randall Johnson to win the job, but he's got weapons to work with. I like Shaytan Mobley, a running back, Ty Lee, a receiver. Uh, the offensive line has got uh, two starters back this year, but Gilchrist is a guy who I think is going to step in and do well as a, a transfer there. And then defensively, they figure to be better than this year, but better than last year. But when you look at their schedule, I have an underdog at Michigan, uh, Duke at home an underdog, at Iowa an underdog. The Marshall game, probably a toss-up type of game. The FIU game, probably a toss-up game. I think they're going to be an underdog in seven games this year. Now, that doesn't mean they lose seven, because Stock still always gets his upsets. But to me, the key is going to be quarterback play, and can they be better than what they have been the last couple years when Stockstill's been out? Last question, about 45 seconds left. You've talked about how Clemson's got the easiest road, and they do. There's no question about that. But you don't have them winning the national championship game. What's the difference for Alabama this year to get them past the fight in Dabos? Three factors. I rate the offenses even. Remember last year Clemson had that defensive line, and Alabama had just three returning starters on D? Mm -hmm. Bama's got six returning starters on D, and Clemson lost that defensive line. So I'm giving a slight edge defensively to Bama. Special teams edge to Alabama. And then the biggest edge to me, remember entering the playoff last year, hey, is Alabama the greatest team of all time? Yeah. I think the players bought into that. This year they got some 44-16 to 16 chips sitting on their shoulder. Uh, I think that's going to be enough to get them over it. That's why I think Bama wins in the playoff. Phil, you're the best, man. I love your magazine. Like I said, I think summer begins once this thing hits the newsstands. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, a lot of fun, Jason. Always great talking football with you, my friend. Appreciate it. That is Phil Steele at PhilSteele042. Buy the 2019 Phil Steele College Football Preview if you haven't. It's 352 pages. You can take this thing to the pool this weekend for July 4th, the 25th anniversary. Unbelievable how much he deep dives into college football. When we come back, the large theme that we are seeing across the NBA with what's happening in free agency is guys are chasing something that you cannot find. I'll explain next. Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Zone. Really fun show tonight. Thanks to Phil Steele. Talking college football. Thanks to Alex Doherty as well. Explaining the Matt Duchesne acquisition. Nashville's excited. He's going to wear number 95. I bet that jersey's going to sell. That thing is definitely going to sell. So it's going to be actually kind of cool on Friday. Thursday and Friday, I'll be in for Clay Travis on Outkick the Coverage. He's actually going to be in for Dan Patrick alongside Doug Gottlieb on Thursday, alongside Jason McIntyre on Friday. So that's going to be fun. We're also going to be letting you experience some of the podcasts that we're doing here at 104.5 The Zone at the website at 1045thezone.com on Friday. You'll be able to hear Step 1 Learn Sports, PK's new podcast, and of course, the Pop Six, which is my pop culture podcast, and I just wanted to tell you 
what to expect on Friday. It's going to be all about Stranger Things. And Season 3 hits on July the 4th. And hopefully I'll be screening that over the next couple of days. But we'll basically be talking about that. That will be what you'll be able to hear from me on Friday. So that's something to look forward to. Let's talk about the NBA. And as I say, and this is how I write as well, I try to find a theme that you can extrapolate from specifics that can apply to multiple situations. And so while I'm watching this and I see what Kevin Durant does when he goes to Brooklyn, and I roll my eyes except that I didn't want to see him stay in Golden State necessarily because I didn't think he was ever going to be happy there. And that's my thing. Folks, you cannot chase happiness because you're not going to find it. This is going to be, some of you might not care for this, but I'm going to explain this in the best way that I know how as it applies to my life today. I had a friend of mine a couple of years ago who left the media. He was a morning anchor in Wisconsin who had gone to school with me at Western Kentucky, and he left the media completely to go into the ministry. And at the time, I was single, and I was trying to find what I was looking for. And he told me something that has stuck with me and become kind of a mantra and something that, that I will never forget. He said, you have to recognize that you're complete now as you are. And then whatever it is, whoever it is that you find, then can be the perfect add-on to your life without expectations that are never going to be fulfilled. You're going to put that person on some level of a pedestal where they're ultimately going to let you down because everything tangible lets you down. And so Kevin Durant going to Brooklyn is something that we should have been able to predict because Kevin Durant is not happy. And that's what he's been doing. That's why he left Oklahoma City. Think about this for a second. He leaves Oklahoma City to go to Golden State. What's the biggest reason? Now, maybe he, he and Russell Westbrook didn't get along, but the biggest reason and the thing that he got dinged most for is that he left a team that was up 3-1 on the Golden State Warriors. Let them come back and win that series, and they had won 73 games. They lose in Game 7 to the Cavs, and then he goes there. And so he's chasing happiness because he thinks that winning a championship is going to make him happy. So he wins two. But he was not happy. He was all over social media. He was getting increasingly sensitive. He couldn't handle people saying anything to him. He thought winning titles was going to make him happy. And then he got there and Draymond Green got in his face in the locker room and said, we didn't need you. We were winning titles before you got here. You gravy trained us. And then he looked around and he saw people like me, honestly, and others saying, that's Steph Curry's team. It's never going to be seen as Kevin Durant's team. When you think of Golden State Warriors, the first name that comes to your mind is Steph Curry. Same way when you think of the Chicago Bulls, it's Michael Jordan. Kevin Durant, better player than Steph Curry. But Steph Curry, that's his team. It was never going to feel like Kevin Durant had real ownership of what was going on. So he leaves to try and win. Because he thinks that winning is going to make him happy. And winning does not make him happy. Money. He's going to make a ton of money anywhere. He took less money to try and win. And he won. It didn't work. Money never makes anybody happy. Guys that take a ton of money and go to small markets and don't win. That generally doesn't work out particularly well either. So what are we seeing? And what did we see in this situation? He and Kyrie Irving are really close friends. And now they're going to play together. 
And their third friend, and maybe Kevin Durant's best friend, is DeAndre Jordan. So both Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving took less money to make sure that there was enough left over for DeAndre Jordan to join them in Brooklyn. So, again, Kevin Durant chasing happiness. Goes for the winning. Whoops, that doesn't make me happy. I thought that was going to make me happy, but it didn't make me happy. Money clearly isn't making him happy because he's got a ton of it. So now he's going for the last part of this thing that's ultimately going to fail. And that is, I want to go play with my friends. If you have paid attention to this league over the past nine years, increasingly, guys are playing with dudes that they think are are close, like best friends, the banana boat situation. These dudes go and play in Olympic basketball and international games, and they forge these relationships, and then they decide they want to play together afterwards. The Heat... That whole super team with LeBron and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, it saw its genesis with Team USA. 2016, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, DeAndre Jordan, these guys playing internationally during All-Star Weekend as well, buddying up, and now they're playing together. And it's all because, and this goes back to Adam Silver at the Sloan Analytics Conference at MIT a few months ago talking about how this league has never seen a level of depression and unhappiness as it does now, and that social media is one of the major causes for it. So there are a lot of depressed, discontented, unhappy, just miserable people, according to Adam Silver in his league. So what we're seeing is all of these guys trying to get out of that doldrum by chasing happiness. And what you find in this life is, you don't find happiness, it finds you. You can't look at it and say, if only I had that job, if only I had that wife, if only I had that bank account, if only I had that house, whatever it might be, you can't do it because you're always going to want more and everything is ultimately going to let you down. If any time you say, if only, then you're already setting yourself up for disaster. So Kevin Durant is going to play with his friends because he thinks that's going to make him happy. Money didn't work. Championships didn't work. So now he thinks this is going to work. And it's not because the two unhappiest people in the league are Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. They're going to go play together. Kevin Durant won't be on the floor until next year because of a ruptured Achilles. We don't know how good he's going to be when he comes back. So Brooklyn's not going to be good this year. Kyrie, that's not going to be fun for Kyrie. So before Kevin Durant ever even puts on a uniform for the Brooklyn Nets, is it possible Kyrie is already so miserable he's looking for another way out? You cannot chase happiness. That is what we're seeing in free agency. D'Angelo Russell wanted to go to Minnesota. Why? Because Carl Anthony Towns is his closest friend. They're on Instagram going back and forth, lovey-dovey friends. But he didn't control his situation, so they were able to move him to Golden State they being the Nets in this situation. But if you're listening to Mark Stein in the New York Times and other reports, the Warriors are probably going to move him. And if they're looking at Minnesota trying to find assets, then this whole thing could make a whole lot of sense before the end of this year. But increasingly, it is about playing with your friends. Period. And it generally, generally doesn't work out at all. And Kevin Durant is still going to find himself unhappy even if he comes back near the player that he was, because I'll go ahead and predict it right now. The Brooklyn Nets 
with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and DeAndre Jordan and whatever else it is that they're going to put on the floor during whatever's left of the prime in those two guys' careers. I'm not going to include Jordan. He's kind of a, a tertiary piece. He's a good piece. He's going to get you double-digit rebounds. But they're never going to win a title. That's my prediction. We'll be right back. Big Six, 104.5 The Zone. Yep. Final segment of the program tonight, Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. Thanks to Alex Doherty of A to Z Sports. Follow him at Alex Doherty one Thanks to Phil Steele at PhilSteele042 on Twitter. If you missed any part of this show, tonight we've been busy talking NBA free agency, talking Matt Duchesne, talking a lot of college football. 104.5zone.com. You can go to the podcast page. You can check out my show and every other show. You can also go to your podcast catcher of choice, whether or not that's Spotify, Apple, Google, whatever it is, and just search the Big Six with Jason Martin while you're there. Look at the Pop Six as well as Squared Circle Radio. I got a lot of shows these days. I am. I said this right before we had Phil on, and I try to say it every night, and I'm going to repeat it again. I can't even begin to describe how blessed I am. And in the coming weeks, I'm going to be able to let you in on another reason, the biggest reason of all as to why I feel so blessed. And again, I really hope, and my DMs are always wide open at Jmart Zone for a faith-based conversation. And if it's not me, find somebody you trust and have that convo because there is nothing more important than that. Golden State Warriors news release from co-chairman and CEO Joe Lacob. Three years ago, we were thrilled with the arrival of Kevin Durant, a transformative NBA player and one of the best to ever play the game. He provided our fans and franchise with numerous highlights during his stay here. Two NBA championships, two NBA Finals MVPs, three trips to the Finals, unparalleled efficiency, and carried himself with class and dignity both on and off the court. His commitment to our community was evident each day, including last season when his philanthropic efforts earned him the NBA's annual Community Assist Award. Today, as he starts a new chapter in his incredible career, we thank KD for all of his contributions, for being an integral part to one of the most prolific runs in NBA history, and wish him well as he continues his Hall of Fame journey. <clears throat> as long as I am co-chairman of this team, no player will ever wear number 35 for the Warriors again. This is where we need a record skip. Because Kevin Durant, played for the Golden State Warriors for every bit of three years, and they're retiring his number. I remember the midday 180 went off when Zach Randolph's number was retired, and I want to say there was somebody else that, that may have been even worse, just in terms of don't you think retired numbers should go to elite players? I'm not saying I disagree with midday. I just remember it was them that, that I was listening to that day. And there were people on both sides of that. I actually kind of agreed with the Zach Randolph deal because it's Memphis. You don't have a Michael Jordan in Memphis to go to. Zach Randolph had a better career, I think, and a longer career than many expected for a dude that never could jump. But Kevin Durant played three years for Golden State. He played longer in Oklahoma City, made the finals there. I honestly could see nobody wearing 35 there, and that's not even the case. Somebody wore 35 as soon as he left Oklahoma City. He leaves Golden State. 
within 24 hours, Joe Lacob says no one will wear 35 again as long as he is co-chairman of this team. And I guess whoever replaces him is probably not going to all of a sudden unretire it. So this is unbelievable. And I wonder, and I saw this mentioned by several people that responded to this on social media. How much guilt do the Golden State Warriors feel for the ruptured Achilles that Kevin Durant is going to have to try and come back from after what happened to him in Game 5 in the NBA Finals when he went back on the floor? When you heard Andre Iguodala on the Breakfast Club last week saying that there was clearly a problem as it related to teammates at practices that did not understand Durant's injury, were confused at the extent of it, and didn't necessarily know that he was even as even close to as dinged up as he actually was. And there's some questions about the training staff. And you just have to wonder, if Kevin Durant had just, let's say Kevin Durant, let's say they had won another title with KD and then he left. But he left healthy. And he just left them and went to either the Knicks or the Nets or wherever it was that he was going to end up. Are they going to retire his number after three years? Even if it's three years and three championships. I get it. That's outstanding. It's absolutely amazing. And I know Shaq, I think, has retired jerseys in like three or four different spots. Maybe you can do it. But did you need to do it this fast? Dude's not even done playing. Not even close, really, even though the percentage chance that he's in the league for a substantial amount of time after he comes back from the ruptured Achilles, history is not on his side, on that side. But did you have to do this right as free agency started? I mean, I'm not even sure he's out of the Bay Area yet. I guess he was already in New York because there's a story of Steph Curry as he came back from China, specifically wanting his plane to stop in New York so he could go try and sell Kevin Durant on staying in Golden State. Think about that. Steph diverted where he was going to fly, had an extra stop so he could talk to Durant. Clay Thompson texting him every single day. Remember Durant after Clay went down in, the, in what turned out to be the final game of the season for Golden State, saying, we have unfinished business? Everybody on that team tried to make him feel like they needed him. Everybody. And he had to know they needed him because they couldn't win the championship without him. A lot of us had egg on our faces when we said they're going to win anyway. I guess if Clay had played the entire series, maybe they would have. I'm not sure. Kawhi Leonard is uh, just a different cat. So I'm not so sure that the Raptors wouldn't have been able to do that anyway. But they tried to make him feel welcome, and he still went to Brooklyn. I talked about it in the last segment. He's chasing happiness that he's not going to find. Championships weren't enough for him in Golden State. But if he had been healthy, and there was no guilt at all in the Warriors organization as to maybe we got him hurt, we got this one wrong, this one's on us. If he had just spurned them, basically, and gone somewhere else, are they really going to retire his number today? Should they have retired his number? This whole deal just seems insane to me. It seems so unnecessary to do this now. If you want to do it after he retires and he's about to go into the Hall of Fame, I guess I could understand that. But my man played three years and you're retiring his number? I I, I don't know. I've got some other numbers for you. If we can, let's make you smarter on the way out the door here. I've got a, a crazy stat for you. 
there were 48 free agent moves made in the first 12 hours of free agency. $3.175 billion. That is approaching the GDP of some small countries. Never seen anything like it. Woj alone was responsible for breaking $1.7 billion worth of deal information yesterday on social media. That is absolutely incredible. And we still don't even know where Kawhi Leonard's going to land. I'll talk a lot about Kawhi Leonard and what he should do tomorrow. We got Fast Talk up next. Thanks to Alex Doherty. Thanks to Phil Steele. Clear eyes, full hearts. Can't lose. God bless and good night.